Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue in, in our series on the Beatitudes, and uh, today we talk about, uh, ironically, after the weekend that we've had, we're going to talk about, uh, blessed are those that hunger, blessed are those that hunger, and so maybe nobody's here today is hungry at all, uh, but he's talking about a different kind of hunger. Let's, let's read together. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then today's, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, today we're going to continue through this journey, and today's message is going to wrap up the first of three sections of the Beatitudes. If you remember, we talked about the Beatitudes are kind of broken down into three categories. The first one uh, is four Beatitudes, and they are a special blessing for those who depend on God. And that's why we talked about the poor in spirit. They depend on God. They are needy in their soul. Dallas Willard called them the spiritual zeros. They're the ones that maybe don't seem like the most spiritual of people, but because they know they need God, they need something. He said, blessed are they. And then those that need God would include those who mourn. And if you've ever been in a time in your life when you've grieved and you've mourned, you know how desperately we need God in times like that. He's the only source of healing. And then last week we talked about the meek, uh, the humble, uh, the gentle, or probably a better term would be the submissive to God, those that really have surrendered their will to him. And today we're going to consider that next beatitude, those who thung, hunger, thunger, <laughs> those who, I had this tooth pulled, that's the problem, and it, I'm telling you, I am stuttering since then. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I like uh, old stories. I don't know about you, but I like old stories. And Kathy gets upset in the evening. Sometimes I'll turn on my uh, computer beside the bed and I'll put on an audio book. And I especially love ones where guys are climbing mountains or fighting grizzly bears or uh, swimming with sharks and things like that. And uh, she'll fall right asleep and then she'll wake up and get interested in it and then can't go back to sleep. So, But uh, one of the stories that I've loved all the stories concerning was uh, uh, Ernest Shackleton, the explorer. And I read this, and it just kind of seemed to fit what we're going to talk about today. It says, in the Arctic, Antarctic summer of 1908, Ernest Shackleton attempted to travel to the South Pole from his winter headquarters. He and three others left with four ponies carrying the load. Weeks later, the ponies died. The rations were all but exhausted, and they turned back towards their base. Their goal was not accomplished, and altogether they had trekked 127 days. On his return journey, Shackleton records in the book, The Heart of the Antarctic, that the time was spent talking about food, elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, and sumptuous menus. As they staggered along, suffering from dysentery, not knowing whether they would survive, every waking hour, he said, was occupied with thoughts of eating. You ever had times like that? <laughs> I've had those, and I wasn't even suspended in the desert or... He says, Shackleton's obsession with food offers a glimpse of the passion that Jesus intends for our quest for righteousness. 
In other words, he had this hunger. As these men, you can just imagine the, the hunger and the thirst that they had journeying with all the supplies gone. And all they can, of course, think about is eating. And that's what Jesus kind of paints a picture for us of in regards to righteousness. I read a story this last week about the USS Indianapolis. It's an old ship in the Navy that was sunk. And I think their secret mission was to go and to kind of scout out the territory after the nuclear bomb, the atomic bomb had been dropped. And in the midst of doing that, they were confronted by a Japanese submarine and sunk. 900 men survived out of the 11 or 1,200 and went into the ocean, but it took several days for people to get there to rescue them from the seas. And during that 700 days, 600 of the 900 died due to dehydration, shark attacks, or just freezing cold in the elements. And so many of them died. Well, they were doing an interview with some of the survivors, which by this time in our day and age, there's only about a dozen or two dozen survivors due to age. And they were doing an interview with these guys and talking about what were you thinking about. And, of course, they talked about the sharks and they talked about... But the greatest answer that these guys gave was, in the middle of the ocean, all we could think about was water. That they were that thirsty. And, of course, they couldn't drink the salt water, but they were that thirsty. That's all they could think about was water being out there. And that's kind of the picture of the thirst and the hunger that you and I should have for this righteousness of God. And we're going to talk about that hunger and thirst in a little bit, but when we think about the the Beatitudes, let's consider what is righteousness. He says, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so we've got to first understand, well, what is righteousness? And the first thing that usually comes to our mind is justice, right? Uh, Man, I want righteousness to be done. You ever had those hungers or those thirsts, those desires of when is God going to come straighten this mess out? You know, I mean, when is God going to take care of the evil in this world? Even the angels, the Bible says, kind of question God in the book of Revelation. It says, how long are you going to let evil exist on the earth? And sometimes we have those feelings. Maybe you've had them about a particular person that has done tremendous harm to you or to others in society. And we have a whole host of folks that we run across in the news that we just wonder why, why, why do they get to continue to exist? When will justice finally be served? But let's look at the text today, and in this whole passage and continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about righteousness, and he reveals to us what this righteousness is. In fact, in our Beatitudes, I think there's a picture. Think about how they're set up. There's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. These folks have nothing, really. They're poor, they're mourning, they've been having things taken from them that has brought them to despair. They're meek or they're humble, they're dependent completely on God. And then he comes to this next beatitude and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's a little transition that takes place from me having nothing and depending completely on God to now me hungering for something and God saying, I will be filled with that. And then he transitions to the rest of the Beatitudes. And I think what he does is he tells us, I'm going to fill you with righteousness, and here's what it looks like. And he goes on and he gives these Beatitudes, and I think these are what makes up righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. And don't you think that if you were going to describe a righteous person, you'd have to say they are someone that's filled with mercy, with tenderness, with gentleness. He goes on and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Their heart is pure before God. A lot of us can be pure on the outside, but these folks are truly righteous. Their hearts are pure from God's perspective. And then he goes on and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
Those that, that go along and they don't antagonize, they don't stir up problems, they don't contribute to fights and struggles and battles, but they are rather peacemakers. I believe those are the things that Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He says they shall be filled. And then he goes on and describes these things. And then the final of the Beatitudes is given. And he says this, blessed are they or those who are persecuted for what? For righteous sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But he says they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. God then gives them this righteousness. They become merciful. They become pure in heart. They become peacemakers. And then he adds on, and by the way, blessed are those who suffer for righteousness sake. They're persecuted. Righteousness uh, brings about some struggles in our life. In fact, many times we have people use the term, you're self-righteous. And that's a, that's a derogatory term, isn't it? And sometimes you're not even intending to be self-righteous, and maybe you're not even self-righteous, but you're just so merciful that someone says, oh, look at you. You're just so much better than the rest of us. You ever had those feelings about someone else? You know, Maybe you were struggling with something yourself, and, and a brother or sister in Christ came along, and their attitude was just so sweet about the situation, you just kind of either wanted to hug them or slap them, and you couldn't decide which one to do. <laughs> you know, they make you feel bad for, for feeling a certain way. That's what righteousness is. And Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 5 in the same chapter of the Beatitudes and He makes this statement in verse 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's an interesting thought. I mean, that is powerful and it's packed there. Because when you look at who the scribes and Pharisees were, these guys, if anybody kept the law, it was them. I mean, they knew it forwards, they knew it backwards, they'd memorized it, and they quoted it, and they practiced it. And then Jesus comes along and he says, unless your righteousness is greater than theirs, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So he has set the bar very high. But he's going to go on and he's going to describe how this righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees. Listen to, what he, listen to some of the ideas that he gives in Matthew chapter 5. In verses 21 through 26, he talks about murder. He says the Pharisees knew the law. They knew that it was wrong to murder. Thou shalt not kill. But Jesus comes along and says, but your righteousness needs to exceed that. He says, I'm telling you, it's not only wrong to murder someone, but I'm telling you that if you hate them and hold anger in your heart towards them, you've already committed murder. Your righteousness needs to exceed theirs of just not killing someone. You ever maybe... Felt like you were successful as a parent because you raised them without ever killing them. <laughs> or, or you've thought you're a good wife because as much as your husband done, you've never killed him yet. <laughs> but Jesus says your righteousness needs to go beyond just not killing them. You need to be careful that your heart is right. That there's mercy there. That there's peacemaking there. That you are pure in heart. And so the fact that you haven't killed anyone doesn't make you as righteous as you think. If you've hated people and held bitterness in your heart, there's a problem. In verses 27 through 30 of the same chapter, he talks about adultery. He says, you know, Moses taught the law that, hey, you shall not commit adultery. He says, but I'm telling you, you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees in that regard. And he describes this idea that if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. 
And so you, you and I may be here today and say, man, I've been faithful to my wife. But listen, fellas, if, if you spent time on the Internet cruising pictures and sites you shouldn't be at, your righteousness falls short. Right? If you spend time walking the malls or cruising the beaches and your heart's filled with lust, you've fallen short. And we know women have no problem with lust, so we won't even deal with them, right? <laughs> Verses 31 and 32, he talks about divorce and forgiveness. He says, hey, the Pharisees knew the law and they knew what it said about divorce, but he says, Jesus expects that their right, your righteousness needs to exceed that. And just because you maybe have grounds for divorce or a reason to divorce, just because you're married to a jerk, he says there needs to be forgiveness. And there needs to be a way for you to work things through. That in Christ-like love, you need to work with someone. And I know that's not always possible. In fact, Romans says, as much as lies within you, live at peace with one another. And So some things are out of our control. But what he's saying is, when it's possible, you need to work things out. He goes on in verses 33 and 37, he talks about the Pharisees and their righteousness and the fact that they took oaths and how important it was for men to keep their word that, that man, when you made an oath, you made a vow, you made a commitment. And Jesus says your righteousness needs to go beyond that. You need to have integrity that says your yes is yes and your no is no. That you shouldn't have to sign on the dotted line that in our day and age, a man is, what do they say, is, is, is word is what matters. That's a righteousness that exceeds that of the Old Testament. In verses 38 through 42, we often love to quote this one, don't we? An eye for an eye. And he talks about the idea of an eye for an eye, that that justice needs to be served, and that's righteousness, that if someone does this, then, then they deserve this. But Jesus says your righteousness needs to exceed that, and he gave the concept that we hear oftentimes, turning the other cheek. That it doesn't always have to be an eye for an eye. That perhaps we need to turn the other cheek. And then in verses 43 through 48, he talks about loving neighbors. The Pharisees believed that, and they believed that, man, and to be righteous, you had to love your neighbor. But remember, they had questions about, well, who really is my neighbor? I mean, I can love a limited realm. (laughs) The folks across the street I get along with, and folks on either side I get along with. Fortunately, I don't have two sides of people that live next to me. So I've only got to deal with one, two, three. And they said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, I'm telling you this, that to love your neighbor is one thing, he says, but I'm telling you, you ought to love your enemies also. That's a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. And so, really, when you think about the scribes and and Pharisees, their righteousness stopped short. They lacked these things that Jesus describes as true righteousness. They lacked mercy. They lacked pure hearts. They lacked the, the idea of peacemaking. That's the righteousness that we should hunger for. That's what we should long for. God, help me to be this way. God, fill my heart with mercy. God, give me the ability to to be at peace with folks and to be able to step into situations that are maybe tense and, and be able to be the one that brings a voice of calm and reason there and to have that pure heart. That, he says, blessings are reserved for. And then he uses this idea that we're to hunger and thirst for this. And again, we've just been through Thanksgiving, and so we started hungry on Thursday, and we ended up stuffed, didn't we? 
And we probably walked away from the table and says, man, I'm not eating again for three or four more days. But a couple hours later, we were pillaging through the freezer and fridge, right? Rewarming things and going for more, and, and it just never ends. But we have this hunger that cannot be satisfied, right? But he says, this hunger that we have in, for righteousness, that's where it's at. That's where we find joy. Listen to a couple of quotes. Augustine said this. He said, Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. What he's talking about, Augustine is talking about this hunger that we have, that, that we were made for God. And until we place our lives in God's hands, there will always be a restlessness about us. A hunger, a thirst, or maybe we would use the term a desire. There's something not right. There's something missing in our life. And you know what we do in in our day and age is we fill our lives with all sorts of things that we think will satisfy us only to discover that they don't satisfy us. Solomon, during the years that he was so backslidden and away from God, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talked about all the things he sought that he thought would make him happy. In his conclusion, he says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That it was all nothing. That it was empty. That once he got what he wanted, that it did not satisfy him. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I contend that most folks today in this world are out trying to satisfy this unknown desire in their hearts. And they try to fill that and satisfy it with all sorts of things, don't they? There's something missing in my life, and and so therefore, man, I just need a better job and more money, and that will make me happy. Once I have that security, I'll be happy. And you know what? It never comes. It's never enough. I think it was Robert Louis Stevenson that once made mention of the fact that we suffer from a sickness of not wanting. That we're so spoiled that we never really come to a place where we need anything. And what we miss is that we desperately need something. But we try to fill it. Some folks have tried to fill it with relationships. Man, if I could just have, if I could just have a good wife, man, I would be so happy. And then we get the good wife and we mess it up and then we're miserable. If I could just be in a relationship and then we do everything we can to get out of the relationship. If I could just experience this, if I could go to this place, if, if I could have this or that, and we, we've got this hunger and thirst that we can't seem to satisfy. And it's because of spiritual hunger, of spiritual thirst. In fact, I think a lot of times some of the issues we have with dependencies and addictions are really based on this idea that something inside us, we're craving something and we don't know what it is. Remember the woman at the well? She met Jesus at a time of day that was unusual, and Jesus took the time to talk to her, which was unusual. She was shocked that this man would talk to her. And he began to describe her life to her and amazed her. But Jesus made a statement. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the well that they had met at, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, she had that hunger and that thirst. There was something missing in her life and she had been through a string of bad relationships and there she was again at the well, undoubtedly maybe open to meeting somebody. And Jesus comes along and he says, Listen, I've got what you need. I've got water that when you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. You come to this well and you think this well is so sacred, but you're back every day to get more. Jesus said, I'm the living water. I'm the living water. What are you hungering and thirsting for? What is it that you desire? And where are you looking for that to be satisfied? How about the Apostle Paul? In the New Testament, he said this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul had experienced so much in his lifetime and he had so much that he could give to his credits, his education, his family upbringing, his genealogy, all of these things. And he says, but I threw all of those aside once I discovered this righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. Everything else meant nothing to me then. I had to have this. You know, maybe that's where we are today, some of us, that that we've got so many things and yet we're still not happy. And maybe it's time for us to kind of cast those things aside and say, these are meaningless to me if I don't have Christ. What good are the things that we possess in this world if we miss the God of the next world? Paul discovered a righteousness that was found in Christ. And that, I believe, is what Christ is talking about when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And Jesus modeled this. Listen to what Jesus says. John 4 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. And again, he uses this idea of hunger. And they said, has anyone fed Jesus? He's got to be hungry by now. And Jesus turns this on him and He says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. What He's saying is, what really satisfies me, what keeps me going, is doing God's will. And you know what? How fulfilled would we be if we followed Christ's pattern? We just said, what I need more than anything else is to serve God. What I need more, the thing that will satisfy me the most is to do the will of God. The Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That mercy, pure hearts, peacemaking. Blessed are those who hunger after these things, for they shall be filled. Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus said this, 
But seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know what I think what Christ was saying? He was saying all the things that we've been seeking after, all the things that we thought would make us happy, all the things that we think lead to a satisfying life, he says, I'll take care of those if you'll just make your hunger and thirst for righteousness a priority. You seek righteousness, I'll take care of these other things. You seek to live for me. You seek to do my will. That's what you should focus on, he says. And if you'll do that, I'll make sure there's a roof over your head. I'll make sure that there's food on your table. I'll make sure that you've got clothes on your back. And and I'll even add in some of the blessings in this life that you haven't even dreamed of. But it comes from focusing on the right things. The blessings that he talked about, remember, they're not the happiness that this world gives us. And when you think about these things, they don't seem to make sense, do they? When he says, happy are those who are poor, that doesn't make sense to us. Or happy are those who are mourning. doesn't make sense to us. Happy are those who are humbled. doesn't make sense. And then he comes along with this one, and he, you know, happy are those who are hungry. And it doesn't make sense until we go back and really examine them. Happy are those who have realized, basically, that the hunger, the thirst, the desires in their heart that emptiness in them is only satisfied by the righteousness of Christ. That's when we find true happiness. And when we desire these things, he says, we shall 